On this episode of Talking Catholic, I spoke with Dr. Winnie Hartstrong here. We spoke a little bit about her faith journey, about being born into the Catholic faith, but actually raised in West Africa. We spoke about her political journey. She used to be a big time liberal, but now she is a conservative and she is running for seats in the U.S. House of Representatives out of the state of Missouri. Her Democrat opponent would be a black man by the name of William Lacey Clay. Um, William Lacey Clay claims to be a Catholic, but also claims to be a Freemason. And we know that you cannot be both. Lacey also votes 100% with his party and their pro-deaf agenda against all human life. So we need Dr. Winnie to win to get this man out of his seat. He's evil. Um, most interestingly, we spoke about some research Dr. Winnie has done looking into the death of George Floyd. And her research raises some questions about whether George Floyd actually died. This is about to get interesting. And I will see you on the other side. Dr. Winnie Hartstrong, how you doing? Welcome on to Talking Catholic. Oh, thank you, Mr. David L. Gray. I have to say it all because I think your names are powerful. I think you're a force to be reckoned with, and I'm so happy <laughs> to be on your show. <laughs> I'm happy to have you here. Thanks, thanks for that. Um, so, man, I'm so excited to introduce you to uh, my audience. Man, I really am. So I, I've I guess the first time I ever seen you speak, you were doing a podcast on um, Census Fidelium uh, Resistance Podcast. It was number 62. You were talking on there, and it was a, a long... If everybody's listening, if you listen, watching the podcast on YouTube, or you're listening to the, um, the audio version on your audio player and podcast player, just drop down into the description box. I'm going to put a link there to that show she did over there on Resistance Podcast. This is really good. But... um. Is is I love hearing you talk. I really do. And um, oh, nice. I share some of your content on on the Twitter and on my Facebook page. You are such a powerful woman, man. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, you are. I mean, you were just that. Yeah, you were on fire. I've I've only been on this earth, you know, thirty years. Born in December nineteen eighty nine. AOC and I are the same age. But she's going out there talking about cow farts, and here I am trying to like save the country. So here you go, you know. <laughs> and so, and so uh, that's funny. And give a little bit. I'm gonna give a little bit of background here. So, so this is Dr. Winnie Hartstrong. She she's running for a seat in the House of Representatives for the United States um, House Missouri District Number Ten. Um, if she wins her primary. On August 4th of this year, 2020, she'll be running against William Lacey Clay. He's a Democrat. He succeeded his father, Bill Clay, in 2001. So he's been, he's he's part of the swamp. He's been there in D.C. for quite a while. Um, and William is someone who, you know, I'm not in Missouri, I don't live in St. Louis, as you guys know, I live in the greater St. Louis area, southern Illinois, but um, I would definitely, if I was in the area, definitely vote for um, Dr. Winnie because William uh, Clay is someone who needs to go. He's he voted to impeach uh, President Donald Trump on counts that he's on impeachments that never been um, come to fruition. Um, he votes a hundred percent with the liberal uh, agenda, um, uh, which is a hundred percent of the time an anti-human agenda. William Lacey Clay also happens to be a Catholic. But votes again against his church with the anti-life liberal agenda 100% of the time. And he's also a Freemason, uh, which means mm. he's excommunicated from the Catholic Church and is, not, and is receiving Holy Communion unworthily. And I know for a fact that he does um, attend Mass and he does receive Holy Communion. Um, and I'll be releasing a podcast about that soon because it's a scandal that needs to be exposed uh, to predominantly black Catholic churches in the United States has an, an infestation of Freemasons. That needs to be out. And it begins with getting people like William Lacey to um, acknowledge that they are, they are in communion with the Catholic Church and do what they need to, do re to repair their relationship with Christ and his church. But back to Dr. Winnie Hartstrom, you, you, were, you were born 
in Minnesota, but your parents decide, decided to raise you and your siblings in, in West Africa. That's right. That's right. So my father uh, worked in the Secret Service for a, you know, an unnamed West African country. But he had access to foreign travel, and throughout his travels with the presidents of uh, of the nation where he worked, he would travel to the White House and meet Ronald Reagan and meet, you know, all the, you know, leaders of the free world. He was at Germany. He was at the Berlin Wall before it fell. He was at Economic uh, Forum in Argentina, and this is all in the and at the point where he decided that he had had enough of the Secret Service life, because it's a grueling life, it's a difficult schedule, you have to travel and be away from your family for long periods of time, he decided that uh, he could see ahead. He could see that this country that he served, this West African country, was headed toward military dictatorship. And he wanted nothing to be a part of that, because he could just see that the, the signs were in the air that the military was going to step in and trans transition this country, this you know young fledgling country, toward a military dictatorship. So he and my mom decided that they would move to the United States, where my mom already had family here in the state of Minnesota. And then I was born in December 1989. But in the midst of living life in the West, you know, when you come to America in first class on an airplane, <laughs> You always have the choice to get back on that airplane and go where you came from and, you know, sort of do the continent hopping thing, which is what they did. You know, after a while, they're like, ah, let's go back. You know, and so I was raised in West Africa. I went to high school and grade school okay. there. And then my family, again, like I said, has always had, you know, one foot on each continent. So we've always established a life in the U.S. as well as in West okay. Africa. And you know, you can you can call that, you know, double dipping. You can call it whatever you want. Uh, but I think it's really the best of both worlds. I went to a beautiful all-girls boarding school. Oh, wow. And I had a good time meeting people from all parts of the world and learning all kinds of interesting things. But it's so interesting, David, because I was actually in sixth grade in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, at St. Alphonse's. And so, so I really schooled everywhere and have a very diverse background. And then after getting my undergrad at Northern Illinois University mm -hmm. uh, and, and my master's, then I went over to the University of Maryland College Park, where I got my PhD in rhetoric. rhetoric. And it's out, out of that knowledge of rhetoric, out of my firsthand experience, living with an intelligence guy. <laughs> That's where all the, you know, controversy about me, if you want to call it that, has come from. It's just, I'm seeing real life propaganda playing out in front of us and I'm putting it all together using my family background and using what I studied. And I'm just like, this is not adding up. And Interesting. I'm not, yeah, I'm not about to go back to Africa anymore. I'm here. I just, I don't want to be in the United States when a war breaks out. Do you? Do you want to be here? <laughs> I don't want to be here in the midst of a war. So I'm like, no, no way. We, we need to prevent this. We need to start talking about the fact that very smart people are invested in, in us hating each other and invested in us hurting each other. And I don't want to be a part of that. That, that's an interesting background, how, how the total summation of your life has made you who you are today. I guess that's all of us, but you've, you've, you've definitely dug back into who you are, I mean, how you were raised, and that's really the total summation of, of what you're doing now. That's, that's the, were you, um, I mean, was your family always politically conservative, or did you make a transition from being a liberal, or what's your, what's your background uh, Politically. Yeah. So it's been interesting because we all love the Clintons in the 90s. We mm. all, every every African-African-American just thought that Bill Clinton was our first black president. We thought that he spoke like us. He, he thought of Africa. He, you know, sent money to us after he left office through the Clinton Foundation. And we loved him. So a difficult position to become that's you know trump loving democrat leaning family people and it's been it's been tough but i made that transition sooner actually i made the transition 
right about 2010. 2010 was the first year I voted Republican. Oh. And it's a really, it's a really odd year. I mean, nothing was happening in 2010, really. Right, right, right. 2010 was when the Tea Party movement was really pick, picking up. And it mm. came out of a response to Obama's 08 election. Because right. 08, we saw him come out of nowhere. Yes, we can. Hope mm -hmm. change, you know. And swept the country off its feet and ended up in the White House. And yeah. then for those two years conservatives are like, what just happened? And then we are realizing that, no, he really wants to push things like cap and trade. He right. wants to cap our carbon emissions and have right. us trade on the carbon credits. He wants right. to increase taxes. He wants a single-player healthcare system. Yeah. And then he said traditional marriage was all that he would ever support. And now he wants same-sex marriage. So those two years after 08 was really a wake-up call for the conservative movement and I got swept into the conservative movement in those years. So yeah. 2010, I voted Republican for the first <laughs> time and then uh, 2012, I voted for Romney and that's where it started for me. But yeah. I had a more concrete transition too because I had received a scholarship from Northern Illinois to intern on Capitol Hill. You know, one of the scholarships yeah. where they're like, oh, we have three spots for you. Now submit your essays, submit your blood sample, submit your hair sample, you know? <laughs> I had to do so much to get that scholarship, but I did. I got it and I interned for my hero, Representative Daniel Lipinski of Illinois' 3rd Congressional District. Dan Lipinski is a pro-life Democrat, and I thought he was a great balance. You know, I could continue to be a Clinton-loving Democrat, and I could also be pro-life by working for Lipinski. But again, after uh, considering the fact that the party itself was moving far left, I'm like, yeah, I need to, I need to get out. And I hope Lipinski would get out and, and moderate his position as well. But he, unfortunately, he stayed a Democrat. And just this March, he lost his primary. So there are now zero pro-life Democrats in the Democrat caucus in Congress. Yeah, because yeah. they don't even support so-called pro-life Democrats anymore, do they? No, they don't. They yeah. don't. I, I mean, as a matter of principle, Nancy Pelosi is supposed to be Catholic. She would give them some like, OK, we're not going to challenge you. If you go back to your district and you r run your primary and you win, come back to the Hill and we'll work with you. But this time around, she really just didn't give any um, assistance to Lipinski and let the Justice Democrats, Planned Parenthood, Emily's List, all of these far left groups, she let them really eat him up. And so they supported Miss Marie Newman, who is supposedly, you know, you know, all of those things. She's, yeah. she's the Democrat and she's rapidly pro-choice. Yeah. It was something in 2008, wasn't it? I mean, because you had this this guy, Barack Obama, come along and his words were so soothing and he really was had this hope and change and i really thought he was going to be a middle of the road type of guy and i heard him used to talk about things like and this is always his line you know we may not agree on this but you know you know we can talk about it you know even if you say this with uh, abortion like he used to sort of nod at the pro-life people yeah i know where you are mm -hmm. you know and and it, it, it was something that he really he he, he presented himself as a moderate we're far from that army right now. These Democrats don't present themselves as moderates anymore. I think the, the hood is off, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I remember 08 myself because as a student of rhetoric, again, I would hear my professors say, oh, my goodness, did you hear that speech? He gave a great speech. And I was, like, confused because I'm reading these principles of what makes a good speech. You have logic. You have some emotion. <laughs> you have and I'm just like, I don't see it. I'm so, I'm not seeing what you guys are seeing. <laughs> I yeah. was so mad about that. I was so mad about it. I decided to go to graduate school to learn more about why Obama's speeches were so great. <laughs> but guess what? <laughs> it, ends up, it ends up being that it's not so much his speech or his cadence, which were nice and soothing and inviting. It's more the historical concepts that he's drawing on. Right. So it's more of the ideology of the, of the message, the ideology that 
Um, yes, we can, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't have a red America or a blue America. Mm -hmm. We have the United States of America. You remember that line? Yeah. It's yeah, not yeah. a red America or yeah, a yeah, blue yeah, America, yeah, but we yeah. have the United... Okay, so that is what was really moving my professors to be so excited. Really, just a lot of intelligentsia was so excited about that because he was drawing on things that were above race, above, above class, above... Uh, some of our policy differences and drawing on these themes. He even drew a lot on immigration themes. You know, my father from Kenya, my mm. mother from Kansas. And you hear that kaka sound in there. I'm sorry, that's the nerd in me. But he has these very, <laughs> very uh, enthralling way of speaking. And he had the alliteration and the assonance. And you would just get wrapped up in it. And there were people yeah. like crying at the Obama rallies. Like, oh, yeah. oh yeah. what an yeah. awesome speaker that was. Yeah. Anyway, to your point, all of that is just no one's even pretending anymore. No one's aiming for those high themes or high ideals that could have united us. I think Pete Buttigieg tried it. And then everyone mocked him because like, Mayor Pete, you don't even sound like you. You sound like Obama. <laughs> but that's what, <laughs> that's what Mayor Pete was trying to do. He was trying to grasp at those yeah. ideological themes to get us to be swept away by him as well. And he started to do it. He started to make headway yes. in Iowa. But then I think someone picked up the phone and called him and said, hey, make way for Biden. Mm -hmm. And they all did. They all got out and they all made way for Biden. And now yeah. Biden can't even string together a sentence. Yeah. How did you say this? You articulated that in, in a way that I never heard it before. And what, what I'm hearing is that with Obama and Buttigieg, it seemed to be an appeal um, towards people's um, kinder emotions, of their aspirations, of their hopes. Because um, these were emotionally charged phrases that were being used that weren't really, in, in, uh, you know, something wasn't anything intellectual, wasn't anything deep, wasn't anything okay. profound. But just on the surface, it was something that was intended to um, um, titillate people's emotions. But now the emotion seems like uh, some of these people, it, it just wants, you know, the emotion is to vote for me because, uh, um, you know, you hate Trump and I hate Trump. That's right, <laughs> right. That, that, yes. That's it. Let's get, let's vote, vote for me so we can get Trump out of office. That, I've never heard of that platform yeah. before. But, but it's see, a the thing platform. is like, we're all, we're all tapped out. We're all tapped out because we started with, I, you know, hope and change, you know, and I'm going to make America. No, that's Trump. Trump is make America great again. But we're going to change America. We're going to fundamentally change America. And then 2010 comes along and all the manufacturing is gone out of yeah. Pennsylvania. And yeah. we're closing plants in Ohio. Yeah. And wait a second. I can get sued if I say from my pulpit that marriage is between a man and a woman. And wait a minute, I have a Tea Party group, and now you're sending the IRS after me. So we started at this emotional high, but as the years go by, we've gone through, and so yeah. everyone's tapped out. Now we just speak in tweets, <laughs> and we just insult each other. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. short of using the middle finger on Twitter, we're just really emotionally tapped out. We just, we just we want to get the words out and we just want our lives back to normal. So, yeah. so no one's playing around anymore. It, in fact, if you try to be sort of aspirational as uh -huh. a Democrat right uh -huh. now, you would get laughed at because the Democrat Party has been exposed as really being anti-death, not just anti-abortion. Sorry, not, not anti-death, pro-death. Uh, not yeah. just anti-abortion, but like pro-abortion. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm speaking in, in opposites here. What I'm trying to say is that they're not just in favor of abortion. That's kill, killing the unborn. They're in favor of us just dying, right? Yeah. It's, it's a heavy, heavy thing I'm trying to say, which is why I'm getting um, discombobulated. But we're seeing that in New York, in Michigan, in some other blue states in California, that the governors actually wrote executive orders to place sick people, people elderly, other people who are sick with the coronavirus in nursing homes so that all the other vulnerable elderly could potentially get those viruses and die from them. So I think that the Democrat Party is just like explicitly pro-death now and there's no point being aspirational about it. You know, 
They, in fact, if they wanted to be, they should just come out and say, we want to kill you all. <laughs> you know, and I think that would be like really taking the hood off, really taking the mask off. But people see it now. We're not fooled anymore. Yeah, that's true. I think I think that they are definitely they, they, they should market themselves as the party of eugenics. And the donkey that they have there as the mascot, they should put a ventilator on it. And mm. I don't know, just just it, it, I mean, they, they are the party of eugenics. But why do you want to go into public service? Did you always see your life going this way? Why do you want to go into this hot mess? <laughs> that's a good question. Well, you know, David, I've always been involved in politics. My father ran for office several times in Africa the, the hard way, you know? In Africa, you, sometimes you need to give your blood to be eligible. <laughs> but I saw, I saw it done the hard way, and I come to America, and I see that there's so much that needs to be done. We need to fight for the unborn. We need to uh, fight for traditional families, for the things that we hold dear. And I see that it's also simpler I don't have to give anyone my blood or my soul, except if, you know, you're AOC and someone tells you to sign on the dotted line. I really think someone got to her. But she seems like a really sweet girl. You know, we're the same age. I could totally feel her vibe. She seems totally sweet, totally sweet Latina woman. And then someone's like, oh, why don't you, like, start saying all this crazy stuff and we'll fund your campaign. We'll take care of your wardrobe. to get and that's what I've been doing David I've been doing that with you uh, with a bunch of other people who have asked for interviews and uh, ultimately the reason why I, I want to get involved is because I think that we can make a change in this in this very time of turmoil where people have lost jobs, where the globalists have locked us up in our homes. Guess what? They've made it easier. They've made it me, who never had a shot, to actually have a shot, because now we're all sitting at home having nothing to do. Might as well figure out who your candidates are, figure out what they stand for, and how you can help them to get elected. So this is a good time. Another reason why... I taught college for a little bit when I was getting my PhD. I was uh, a college level instructor for about eight years. And at the start of class, I would always do like the very start of the fall semester. So we're talking end of August, you know, that very first yeah. day of class. I would do icebreakers and I would just ask people like, say your name, your major, and one interesting fact about you. And... Uh, <laughs> We just, it was a normal class. We were just going around saying our name. We got to this person. I can't even say if I can call him or her a him or her. We got to this person and they said, well, my name is Asher and I'm from wherever Asher was from. And I identify as asexual. Okay. I was like, asexual? I, I, I didn't know what to make of that. I was like, that's it. After I get this degree, I'm getting up out of here. <laughs> <laughs> How am I supposed to be teaching an asexual person? I mean, are you what? Are you like a little warm? You, you have no sex? So just choose not to identify the sex that God gave you. Do you not have sexual desires? I was confused by that. And it was a sign to me of what was coming down the pipeline. The idea that what we called LGBTQ, so lesbian, gay, transgender, queer, was now being expanded into LGBTQIA+. And as instructors of communication, a very straightforward subject, which I love. Like I, you heard me talk about, you know, alliteration and assonance and, uh, you know, simile metaphor. The things that I love to teach and love to help people grasp so they, they can go on to write inspiring speeches well yeah. it was getting all clouded because i had to contend with how to refer to this asexual student you know so i i would avoid it i didn't know what to do you know do i call him a he or her or shim or dear a whiz you know shim. whatever shim so i would just always say asher you know like asher said instead of like he said or like she said but david that was part of the motivation for me. I had always been interested in politics, but that was the point at which I'm like, 
I need to get involved because this is getting out of hand. I can't even teach my subject without being confronted with uh, just absurdity. It's just absurd right now what's happening at the college level and in society at large. And I know that you're you're a Catholic and I know you're deeply in love with the traditional Latin rite. Were you you born into the faith? Yes, I was. I was born into the faith. My mom was uh, sort of converted in when she met my father. She was born Presbyterian. So I told Steve Cunningham actually on that uh, resistance podcast that I, I, I identify as a charismatic. You know what that means? I, huh. Traditional Catholic and a charismatic Catholic. Uh, and I think those two together inform my spirituality. Because okay. there is there's something about the black church. And it's just in our DNA. You know, we can pray our Hail Marys all day. You know, mm-hmm. just talk to God in the quiet yeah. of the Mass. And yeah. we should do that. Because the Mass is really getting us back to the foot of the cross. Yeah. That's us being at Calvary, us sorrowing with Mary and and with John and with Jesus, you know, oh, come and mourn with me a while. That's the mass. It's really a remembrance of that sorrowful passion. But then we are also to go to the upper room, right? And that's where the apostles went when they waited for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came down, they started to speak in myriads of tongues. And they started to prophesy and heal and preach. And boy, sign me up for that. Sign <laughs> me up for the power of the Holy Ghost. Come Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. So I, think, I think that if we did the Christian thing, which is not just Sunday, Sunday, Catholic mass attendance. If we did the Christian thing, which would be Monday, we have a Bible study. Tuesday, we have a potluck at church. When, like if we lived the church, if mm. we lived the, the sacramental life, yeah. I think we would find more ways to combine these forms of worship, yeah. to combine these expressions. But yeah. we're so busy in the Western world and we just do the Sunday, Sunday obligation. So yeah. we're being forced to choose. You only have one day in the week to get mm. all the kids in the van and to drive on to church when we we better be doing one thing and it better make sense to us and so right. as a family you find families having to choose you okay we're going to the traditional mass and that's our thing we just do that on sunday but what i'm suggesting is what if what if we started to maybe have those baseball games entwined with our worship you know like mm-hmm. have our our family life be centered around the church yeah. such that yeah. On Wednesdays, we went back to church and we did a Bible study and we prayed yeah. in tongues and we sang yeah. in the spirit and we brought down the power of the Holy Ghost and we brought down the healing of God and we brought down conversions and transformation of our church. Yeah. I mean, that would be that would be heaven on earth. Heaven is going to be every day of the week. You know, <laughs> heaven is going to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. all day. And yeah. so why why have we as Catholic Christians and as Christians in general just pigeonholed God into Sunday? And some of us don't even get to do that because Sunday is a little too much for us, right? So we do like every on the Sunday or we do <laughs> Christmas and Easter. <laughs> but I think I think absolutely that it would be perfect for us to see more and more families build their life around the church. Yeah. And, That's so and, sad. Yes, I think it's, it's so sad that we lost that, right? Because you look at I me, mean, you've, you've been around the world, you, and you know this very well, that if you, in most parts of the world, even in the United States, there was a time that when a new community was formed, you know, they, they'll build their houses, they'll build their businesses, but in the center of, of it all, in the center of that community, they always, they built a church. You see Amen. it in Latin America, you see, especially see it in Latin America, there's always a church in the center of the town, and everything is built around that. And I think it's an expression of liturgy itself. The liturgy itself, it intends the formers to be in the, in the world who we have become, who we have received through the Mass. And that's why the Mass, I mean, you know this is somebody who loves a traditional Latin, right? Why well, has a stand and sit and kneel and pray? And it's repetition, stand and sit and kneel and pray. Because his teaching is that all of our body, our whole self, 
is, is that God is forming us and shaping us and molding us to be who in the world who we have received through the mass. We just don't take that out of the mass with us. Mm. If we did, society would reflect the liturgy. You know, the Amen. Whole, it would be liturgical. And Amen. we and and it's sad that especially here in the West, like you said, we've just just lost the sense of a lived liturgy in Amen. society. Yeah. I think I think uh, Saint Augustine writes about the city of God, the city of God, right? And you would know because you're sort of trained as an Augustinian. But the city of God is about Jesus being in the center of the city and the church being the center of the city, and we all come to have our lives uh, rotate around that that yeah. source, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to speak a little bit to to. Uh, what we consider urban versus rural America, okay. or just urban versus rural anywhere in the world. Um, urban living is, is I think, really high living. I love urban living. I think that it, it, it you know, heaven, everyone is, everyone is in the urban areas. You have black folks, you have white folks, you have Asian food, you have Indian food. It is the center of uh, what heaven will be like. It will be mixed and beautiful, okay? But the devil comes into the urban setting and tries to pollute it and tries to make our difference our weakness rather than our strength. Um, but I, I think that we ought to reclaim urban living as Christian. It's a Christian way of living. Because you look at the way that the cities are built, right? In Europe, you have the cathedral at the center of the city, and then you have the homes and the hamlets around it. Similarly, I think that's what makes our East Coast very attractive. You have, right. you know, yeah. St. Patrick's over there in New York, and St. Patrick's is right next to, you know, close to Wall Street. It's, it's right all in there. And, hmm. and ideally, we should be living the liturgy every single day of the week, and going in and out of the church doors and walking into our businesses, going to morning mass and then going to, you know, a friend's baby shower, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I think that our, our rural areas um, have become isolation centers, which is why when the opioid pandemic hit, the opioid crisis, it really hit our rural areas very hard because there's a lot of loneliness out here. You know, there's <laughs> people who um, there's, just, there's just not enough people. At the end of the day, people matter, you know, and being next to people, that feeling you get in your where you're like rubbing shoulders with people, it can be sort of annoying, but it's really grounding because, hey, I'm here. You're here, too. We're in this together. We're not like floating particles out in the atmosphere. We are here. <laughs> and I think that that's missing in the rural areas. So we need to reclaim the urban areas. We need to reclaim them as uh places of faith and tradition, we need to reclaim them also as conservative strongholds because at the center of urbanity is really the human person. And what more did Jesus come for? Who, who else did he come for but for the human person? Yeah, yeah. I told you guys that Dr. Wendy is a powerful woman. You hear her ideas? That's, that's just amazing. I love the way you articulated that. <laughs> But speaking of reclaiming the urban area, you are running in a um, in an area that is um, heavily, uh, I guess, a, a predominant number of people who are you looking to vote for you are Black Americans. It is an area that has gone Democrat for quite a while. Like I said, uh, William Clay, he succeeded his father, who had had been there for quite a long time, yeah. and. I want to ask you two questions. The first one is, uh, why is can the conservative or the platform of the Republican Party why is that why is that better for Black Americans? How do we how do, how can we have a better life um, under those some of those ideals? Um, and the second question: How do you convince the people in your district um, that they need to change and that you're the person for that change? Yeah. Wow, that is a really difficult question, right? Because we're dealing with so many. I just watched your video on the myth about the party switch, about how we've been told this lie over and over again that 
the slavery South um, suddenly all left the Democrat Party and became Republicans. And then we are dealing with a public school system that has taught that myth over and over again. And then we're dealing with the Great Society program from Lyndon Baines Johnson that basically put our African-American people in poverty and in a cycle of just uh, economic slavery, modern day economic slavery. Um, so I just, I, I try my best, David. I talk to people who maybe are a little, you know, don't mean to be offensive, but slightly more college educated and people who are ready to be objective about what they're seeing around them, about the reality of their lives and their community. Yeah. And you know, in my viral video, I kept saying, stop being so emotional stop it just like stop crying stop looting stop burning like oh slavery happened to me you know what we've all had really terrible things happen to you know people that we love our our ancestry isn't perfect no one is perfect america isn't perfect so if you're going to have victory in your life if you're going to overcome if you're going to going to conquer that sense of uh, a lack of dignity that was put on your ancestors you need to stop that emotional thinking and start to think logically. Mm -hmm. I've been in St. Louis, and this is how you think logically, okay? You've been in St. Louis maybe 20, 30, 40 years. You've had the same family, father and son, represent you for the last 50 years. Has your life gotten any better, yes or no? Has your community gotten any safer, yes or no? Have your children advanced by getting education that puts them in the best colleges yes or no you know i just was on facebook today just checking up on my friends and i'm seeing that now there's a a theft ring that's going around in in st louis so people are just waking up and noticing that their suvs are gone oh. like just people are showing up <laughs> in the middle of the night with tow trucks and just taking people's cars from their driveway what? And apparently, yeah, they're like changing streets and they're going through Fenton. They're going through uh, Granite City. They're going through all of our neighborhoods. So I just really want you to think about why is this happening? If crime was punished severely rather than being incentivized, if the Democrats like Kim Gardner would prosecute people who commit crime and keep them in prison, until they serve out the full term that is their just reward for that crime, then we wouldn't have people, you know, leaving the city in droves. We started out with a very healthy city population getting towards 700,000, and now it's been decimated to less than 300,000. Every other home in our city is boarded up. I mean, worse than that, every other home is crumbling and a magnet for crime and for uh, just uh, homeless living, basically. Um, so I just really want you to look at your reality, ask questions about whether that reality has improved or not, and ask questions about who has been leading you through this five decades of decay. Who has been leading you? Has it been a Democrat or Republican? And if, if it's been a Democrat, which it has, are you willing to consider an alternative? I'm black like you. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna like hurt you. I'm not going to. I don't know this idea that conservatives want to like just use you or whatever. <clears throat> In my opinion, it's the Democrats who are using you. They are using you, and they've got you so programmed that every four years they come up with these like we weird, wild things, you know, and and they get you all emotional, and you're, you yeah. know. You can't think. You can't think. Get us hungry and, and jobless and locked up in our homes. So many people have lost jobs. So that, I mean, if we couldn't think before, now we really can't think because yeah. we're just in survival mode. Survival but mode. I'm asking you to please, yeah, I'm asking you to please just step back one or two steps and say, hey, she seems genuine. I mean, I have a pretty, you know, genuine character. I'm not, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to lose also. You know, it's not like someone has paid me money to do this. I'm doing this just based on a, a real calling on my soul to, to be a voice, be a leader in the community. It's about time. You know, we have conservative women in my generation are working so hard all across America, David, because 
Our moms and our grandmas sold us out to the feminist movement. They told the feminist movement, hey, you want my body? Come for my body. You want my unborn child to be sucked into a suction tube? Hey, come get it, you know? And, yeah. and they sold us out. They took out whole generations of people. Whole classrooms of kindergartners don't exist today. My son is about to start kindergarten. He'll have, you know, people who should have been in class with him who would not be. Well, they yeah. don't exist. They've been killed. They've been killed by abortion. And so conservative women like me in their 30s, their early 40s, have to balance a young family life with uh, a service to society. You know, my, my kids are young. They're four, three, uh, four and a half, three and one. And here I am running because it's just so urgent. We have to do it. We have to balance family life with a service to society. And I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to serve. But what I want you to understand is I'm not doing it because um, I'm a coon or, you know, whatever favorite word you have for like you know, a sellout or I'm not doing it for any of those reasons. No, I'm doing it because I want to honor God, right? I stand with my president. Here is my Catholic Bible. It says, someone asked me on Facebook, they're like, Wendy, where's your Catholic Bible? Look at that. It says Catholic edition. Okay, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm here with my Bible, you know, supporting my president, supporting his Christian agenda. And I want you to join me. I want to help make St. Louis great again. Yeah, I, I think two. Th- I'm convinced, and, and two things that you 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 said and, and said in there that that really that really stuck out to me. And the first one was that the people in your district have supported that same family for generations, for for decades, and it's basically they've the Clay family has made a pretty good living off of those people's votes. They, they just have. I mean, they, they've supported that family financially, basically, on the on the backs of their dollars, American tax dollars, and what have they got? You want to you know something interesting, David? You want to know something interesting? So speaking about financing that family, do you know where um, William Lacey Clay Jr. went to undergrad? Do you know where he went to undergrad? Where? He went to the same school I graduated from, University of Maryland. The Clay family has not really lived in St. Louis. They have a home in Maryland. They live a high-end, uh, you know, East Coast life. We all know about them when I was yeah. in college, you know, when I was over at Maryland. So it's interesting. He went to the University of Maryland, it came back to St. Louis to try and run for his father's seat and did and won. Um, but again, just to back up your point, we have really financed a high-flying career and life for these these people and it's time to kick them off get yeah. them off the government yeah. hit, you know yeah that's what, what, what have you gotten in return for 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 financing you know, that really really good life and um good for them for using you know people to votes to help them accumulate the life that they accumulated that's, exactly. but the second yeah. second you know when i was running back in warren ohio i had um Moved back home for a little while, and I had gotten active with the Republican Party there, like you in 2012. I went and worked for for Mitt Romney, and oh, uh, wow. yeah, and um, it's amazing to say because you know, <laughs> you know Romney is who Romney is, but <laughs> but you know, I wish, I, <laughs> David, I wish I could take that vote back. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was my first presidential vote too. I was like, "What?" In the world? We were all fooled, and now we come out with the Ukraine crisis, you know, and we're finding out that Joe Biden's son was in a, a board that he didn't deserve to be, as well as Romney's son right. and John Kerry's son right. and Pelosi's. You know, like, yeah, we have been fooled. We've been fooled, and, yeah. and no more, no more honeymoon level, with the. Yeah, it's all the swamp, high level trickery. But um, like yeah, when I, was, when I was back at home, the, you know, the, the 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 party there, you know, they wanted me to run for a precinct captain, and so I'm running for precinct captain. Um, and so this is a neighborhood I grew up in, Dr. Winnie. People up and down the street know me. They know my family. They know my family's family. They they know the Grays for as long as we've been on Briar Street. 
And so, you know, I'm walking up and down the street. I run into this other family who I known again, known as forever. And some say, "Yeah, I'm running for peace and captain." You know, I like your vote. Um, and he and he tells me that well, I don't vote for Republicans. And I'm and I'm saying that I'm not asking you to vote for a Republican. Your I'm asking you to vote, vote for me. Yeah. You know me. And I like your message about, about that. That you're just acting people asking people to vote for you on the merits of you and what you're offering and what you're bringing. Um, and I love, and I, and I love that. I love that message. Amen. That's really Amen. powerful. I hope people, I really hope people hear it. I really do. Yes. Well, thank you for having me on because you're helping me get people to hear my voice and hear my authenticity and, yeah. and my laugh. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're a human being that, um, St. Louis was, um, it didn't suffer as much as, you know, some major cities did during the, during the, um, during the uprising after, um, um, what happened to George Floyd and it, you know, it was, it was definitely wasn't affected like Minnesota, like Minneapolis or mm -hmm. Chicago or some of these cities, mm -hmm. but you know, it, it was affected. Mm -hmm. People like David Dorn died. Um, and I know that mm -hmm. you've been working on that. Um, yes. You, but you, you were raised in Minnesota, so I'm asking you. I'm asking you this. Um, don't ask you. Don't expect you to know, you know, much about the inner workings of what's, you know, going on there since you, you know, you, you were born there. But when, when we, a lot of us watched that that video that lasted for um, eight minutes and forty six seconds. We were under at that point in time. Minneapolis was still under quarantine. Why weren't nobody in that video had a mask on? Nobody. The police, the police, the police who had him, had you know, had him down. The the I think the American Asian guy who was standing yeah. there. Yeah. No, no one in the video had a mask on. Isn't right. that a little bit odd? It is odd, David. Let me tell you what I know. Okay, so March fifteenth, Governor Tim Walsh of Minnesota issued a safer at home order with COVID-19 guidelines. Everyone, public and private citizens, must be wearing masks, okay? The video comes out May 25th, supposedly he's killed on May 25th. March 15th, May 25th. There's a lot of time in there where the Democrat governors especially have been pushing COVID, 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 coronavirus is out there, protect yourself, protect your neighbors using a mask, no mask, anywhere in the video, not George Floyd, not the police, nor the passersby, nor the people who are recording video and being like, oh, you're, you know, you're horrible, blah, blah, blah. No one seems to be adhering to those guidelines. So that's the first red flag for me in line with stop being emotional, start thinking, start asking questions. Why is there no correspondence to our current reality? When was this video filmed? Are these people real people or are they actors? These are legitimate questions that everyone should be asking. And it's not about being a conspiracy theorist, okay? There's something I like that someone told me. It's not about conspiracy theory. It's about being a conspiracy realist. You're being real about the potential that some powerful people are trying to lie to you or they're trying to trick you in a way that is not right. You know, I, I value my intelligence. You don't have a right, whoever put that together, to trick me into being emotional and being uh, destructive because of some reality that you've concocted in a very airtight way. So David, that's all I've done. I just asked people to ask questions. And you know what? If I have been completely wrong, if I have said anything or done anything to insinuate that a really uh, murdered dead man um, was so somehow alive or was somehow um, involved in some act or some movie production, then I'm sorry. I'm willing to say that. I'm willing to say sorry. I'm willing to say, oh, I was wrong. But David, everything I've seen, all the research that I've put in for the past uh, three weeks and that I put a report out on June 14th shows me the exact opposite. It shows me that I am right in questioning. It shows me that nothing is adding up. Uh, a mannequin company in Minneapolis was burned down to the ground. Well, there's video that shows that part of the arrest video shows George Floyd without legs. 
How did he suddenly lose his legs in the middle of an altercation? Part of the video shows him bald on the ground. And then when he's being walked off to the sidewalk, he has hair. Did he somehow in the middle of that grow hair and then lose hair? So David, what I'm getting at here is really the conclusion of my report, which is that what we saw on camera was used, was created using deep fake technology. Deep fake technology combines two or more real persons to create a new digital person. And it adapts and changes in real time, which is why you have all these discrepancies. So the person we saw was not really Floyd, but it was not even really the actor who I'm pegging as Steven Jackson, who calls himself Floyd's twin. It's an amalgam of Floyd and Jackson, which gets us into a whole new legal ter territory about, okay, if we were to prosecute, who do we prosecute? Because this is a whole new, completely new digital person. Same yeah. for Chauvin, the officer who's kneeling. Well, the video of him changes and morphs. And depending on which frame you capture him in, sometimes he looks like the Chauvin in the booking photo, and sometimes he doesn't. He doesn't match all the time. So we are talking about some really intelligent people again, going back to my intelligent family background, who have put together a series of events. And because of what I know about this Floyd incident, and the lawyer who is representing the family, Ben Crump, I'm ready and willing to question all of them. Because guess what? Ben Crump is also the attorney for Breonna Taylor. Brent Crump is also the attorney for Ahmad Arbery's family. Ben Crump represented Trayvon Martin's family in 2012. So this is really, I think, a watershed moment in all of the false flags that we've had for the last eight years. Let's call it that. If we get George Floyd right, and I again, I say I'm willing to be wrong about this, but if we get this case right, if we get the FBI on it and investigating using more sophisticated technology to tell us, is this a deep fake or is this real? Are these people really involved in a real murder incident? Then it really gets us at Sandy Hook, at Paul's shooting, at the Las Vegas shooting. It gets us inquiry and this isn't about conspiracy theory again it's about conspiracy realism that's what you do when you question the word of known liars known liars our government is known to lie to us this is the same government that puts syphilis into black men this is the same government that sent drugs into our community this is the same government that's trying to get rid you know, and I, again, I use government so loosely because it's not government. It's certain very evil people in these positions of power who are yeah. trying to decimate black America. They don't like that an intelligent person like me has come up through the ranks or like Candace or like you. They don't like that. You know, I've seen, I have some really awesome consultants and they've taken me to the behind the scenes of Twitter. Behind the scenes of Twitter Candace Owens is not just a star, she's a goddess. Because every single tweet Candace sends out, maximum ratings on every subject. I've seen the tech. Every time she opens her mouth to, it, to tell us what's happening in her brain, the algorithm on Twitter shows that she is hitting it. It's like hitting a home run every time. Do you understand what that means? Mm. You know. So when the left comes after Candace Owens for whatever she says, understand that they're doing it because they have information that shows that she's very powerful. She's very convincing. She's able to get black America to think and stop being emotional. So there is a coordinated effort to basically perpetuate white supremacy. And trust me, it's not coming from Trump. It's not coming from the conservative party per se you'd be surprised it's coming from some very prominent white liberal Democrats. So the, the real party of, of white supremacy and of uh, racism is yeah. really the Democrat party. Yeah, yeah, all day long. I'm some, and I, and I read your, your report, and for those of you guys watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast, just drop down in the um, description box and you'll see a link there to, to take you straight to report. It was interesting. I mean, some of the things that you put in your report, such as the real George Floyd had a tattoo all across his chest, 
but this um, the, the 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 person the video. in the video had no tattoo on their on their chest. So, um, so yeah, so, yes, there was some there were some things about even before I ran into your research, there were a couple things about the video that just seemed a little bit off to me, just color just color wise. But let me ask you a couple questions that that people. Because um, I posted this on my Facebook page, I was going to be interviewing you and some some people who follow on my fan page were like, ah, "Get out of here! You're wasting your time. You're going to lose your credibility <laughs> and all this stuff." But um, but let so let me ask you a couple questions, especially for for their for their benefit. All right. Sure. Um, I guess like the same question, or maybe two different questions. One, I want you to talk about how do you explain the girl who took apparently took this video because she has a real Facebook page. She has other videos there. Um, she, by all general purposes, she seems to be a real person who took this video. Um, the second question is the store where this apparently happened seems to be a real store with people who work there and stuff. How do you explain that? Oh boy. Those are good questions. I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that there are real elements to what happened on camera. What I'm suggesting is that those real elements have been superimposed with what I'm calling deepfake technology. And you can read that Forbes News article that also came out on the same day, May 25th, uh, by that journalist who's writing about the uptake in uh, the new the new thing in AI in artificial intelligence, which is deep fake, and it's about using real situations to create uh, contrived situations that even the technology itself now becomes unaware of what is real and what is not. If, I don't know if that makes sense. So, so you map on to something that is really happening. Some so there's a viral video. Uh, for instance, of, uh, let's say, a viral video of Queen Elizabeth saying the F word, you know. Queen Elizabeth is one of the most prim and proper women out there. She would, I don't think in public she would ever utter the F word. But you can use that technology to map on to her actual persona from videos of her online, from videos of her for the past 70 plus years of her reign, yeah. And you can get her to a place where she's saying F you. Does that make yeah. sense to you? Yeah, that so that, that's what this technology is. So what I'm asking people to do is to be open enough to get outside of your programming, right? Because you're being programmed. When mm. you turn on the television and you pick a channel, you're yeah. being programmed by yeah. that channel. What is that's, what they, that's why they call it television programming. That's, yeah, exactly. That's... <laughs> it's CNN, right? <laughs> so step outside of that programming and consider the possibility that this technology could have been used in this case. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And is used for what? What was that? What was the uh, purpose? Who benefits? Yeah, that's what I'm concluding, David. Is that it was to set up a situation where Black and White Americans now are at odds with each other, and then we're all at odds with the police. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's really to reinvigorate the Black Lives Matter movement, which was dying out. We hadn't we hadn't heard about Black Lives Matter for a few few months, a few a couple of years. And then out comes this video. And from nowhere, Black Lives Matter springs into action. We have tons of bricks showing up in cities around the country. Right. We have coordinated yeah. matching sweatshirts, yeah. coordinated matching headgear. Yeah. You know, matching um, R.I.P. George sweatshirts. Mm -hmm. And by the way, his so-called brother almost called him Greg. I mean, like, <laughs> there's so mm. much going on here, David, that I think we all need to become conspiracy theorists. If that's what it takes to be a conspiracy theorist, to question what we're seeing, then, hey, sign me up. Sign me up. Yeah. I don't propose to know everything. I mean, there, there are some things I know deep that technology can be used to make it look like I murdered someone, even though I'm sitting right here talking to you. And I could go to prison the next day. I mean, because the Amen. technology is that good. Um, 
so I don't know enough. There's a lot of questions out there, but I do know that that video leaves open a lot of holes. There are some things that just can't be explained. It, they, they just can't. And that, it, and that in itself creates an issue. That in itself makes the, creates the question about why, why don't these things add up? You know, why, why, why is the, why is this thing incongruent? Why doesn't it make sense? Right. Yeah, and David, I think that's the problem is um, we are being called like uh, either irreverent of the dead or uh, racist for asking why. Just to say why. Like, why is what I am seeing not registering on, right. a, on a head level and on a heart right. level? Something isn't registering. Why? Just to say that is being like, I, I've been called every single name in the book, man. <laughs> Some people are like, where did you get your PhD? I want to know. <laughs> like, I'm not telling you, even though it's like right online, you can find out where I got my PhD. <laughs> but people are, are very upset that I would even ask why. And that's, that's not healthy in a rational democratic republic. It's not healthy if we can't ask why or what or where or who, whom. We should be able to ask that without being punished. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. We're at the end of the show now, Dr. Winnie. And um, as people who watch this podcast know, it's time for me to ask you five questions. And we need five answers back. And um, just get, help us get to know you a little bit better. Okay. And um, see if we can trip you up. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so the first question is, what was the last thing you bought your husband? Whoops. <laughs> the last thing I bought my husband. Does McDonald's takeout count? I mean, like. That's, yeah. I mean, what was it? A fish fillet? They don't have a big menu anymore. I know. Just that <laughs> strawberry milkshake. <laughs> All right. While we're on the topic of food, the second question. If you had to eat just one thing for the rest mm -hmm. of your life, what, okay. would that, what would it be? Whoa. oatmeal I really like oatmeal like oatmeal and like nice warm milk wow I could I could eat oatmeal for every meal wow yeah that's interesting. I mean that's a lot of protein there that's a lot of good stuff there I mean there's a lot of yeah. a lot of good stuff yeah yeah that's, that's pretty good um who is your favorite Catholic saint oh wow <laughs> that one's hard <laughs> I like them all. Yeah. I like them all so much. Do you have a particular oh, devotion to one more than the other? Or who's your confirmation saint? My confirmation saint is St. Bridget. St. Oh. Bridget of Sweden. Okay. I like her so much, too. because My mom actually was just like, okay. Because my mom, I told you, was raised Presbyterian. Yeah. So when it came to my confirmation, oh. she's just like, my birthday is July 23rd. St. Bridget is on my birthday. Hey, you go be Bridget. <laughs> yeah. So she yeah. just sort of gave me that saint. And I started <laughs> to grow in love of St. Bridget of Sweden. She was a powerful woman. She had about eight children. And she also founded a religious order. So I like her a lot. But Yeah, I you can't go, can't go wrong with St. Bridget. That's good. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like super close to her. Like mm. I, I go to her every so often. But mm -hmm. I don't know that she's, like, my favorite. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you there's, mean. Yeah, there's some saints that I just, like, St. Pio, help me. Padre yeah. Pio is my favorite. Let me tell you why Padre Pio is my favorite. Because he fought with the devil, mm -hmm. like, physically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I told you, I'm very charismatic. I have some really wild spiritual gifts. You don't want to know. And <laughs> sometimes I get into a place where I'm, like, Satan be gone in the name of Jesus. And I need Padre Pio. I need Padre Pio. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's, 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 he's powerful. Yeah. Um, the fourth question. What is the last book you read? Hmm. You know, I've been working through that Fatima book. Uh, you know, what happened at Fatima? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm still yeah. working on it. I haven't gotten through it yet. Yeah, yeah, you were yeah, talking about that on um, on um, on on a, on a podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah. With Steve, Steve Cunningham's yeah, podcast. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's been really interesting, you know, just learning about how, and he says some of the people he quotes in the foreword are saying, if, if something proves to be reasonable, it is left to a reasonable person to accept it. And, you know, that applies to every aspect in life. Fatima, the revelations at Fatima are reasonable and the church has approved them. So why, why do people even still question Fatima, you know? Mm. And so many other aspects of life. If something proves to be unreasonable too, it's left to a reasonable person to reject it, right? So if something about this Floyd thing is seeming unreasonable, hard to reconcile, it's not a bad idea to reject it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It kind of sounds a little bit like Occam's razor, that the most reasonable solution is, is probably probably the one. Yeah, that makes exactly. sense. Uh, number five, last question. You have an option here of three superpowers. You can choose invisibility, you can choose okay. flight, or you can choose immortality. Which one do you roll with? I think, ah, this is a hard one. I think immortality, just because, you know, you get to see yourself be the immortal one. You know, so many people are immortal now, like George Washington, his <laughs> legacy is immortal, but he's not here to see it, you right. know, like he's dead. <laughs> George Washington is dead. <laughs> Yeah. But if you were immortal, you would not only be talked about as immortal, but you would be alive to see it, you know? Yeah, but you would have to, I guess, to, to bear witness to what, you know, George Washington, you would like to see how you're going to be immortalized. You would have to, guess what, fake your death. Oh. Yeah, and, and, then, and then maybe use some deep fake technology, and then you can see... <laughs> And then you can see yourself be immortalized. You know, you can see your statues yeah, and everything like that. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Just like fake it one day, you know, get in an airplane and right. pretend to crash or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And live a whole nother life. But yep. Dr. Winnie Harstrong, thank you so much for coming on Talking Catholic. We got to talk again in the future. Yes, sir. Thank you, David. I'm so honored to meet you and your audience. And please pray for me. Pray for my family. Yes. We are in a battle. Yes, yes, yes. We do pray for you. And we, we need you in Congress. And um, if anything else I can do for you, I'll even come down there and knock on some doors for you. Let I me know. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Okay, God bless you. Fool me, we can't get fooled again.